Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Brought to you by our sponsor, Vanilla Soft, with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us as we interview industry experts in the dramatically growing field of inside sales and sales development. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Hey, Daryl. And it's another episode of Inside Inside Sales, the only pod on the showcast that has content specifically and exclusively focused on just learning stuff in the sales development profession. We never talk vision. We don't talk strategy. We just talk about what can you do to be better at your craft. How are you doing, folks? My name is Daryl Prale. It's Friday, and I'm about to hit the road for a couple weeks, and we've actually been stockpiling podcasts feverishly so that I can be on the road because it's going to be almost a month I'm going to be on the road doing tons of shows and speaking gigs. We need it one more, and I have been trying to nail this guest for a while. He is prolific on LinkedIn, and his takes, I just love his takes. They're so fresh, and they're so encouraging, and they're so constructive, and I've learned so much from him. We had a chance to connect, and I said, dude, there's so much you're talking about. What resonates with you? And between he and I, we kind of came up with this talk that I think you're going to love today. Let me introduce you to Sean Cease. Sean, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Daryl. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Man, I'm just thrilled to have you here. Sean is with the sales developers. You have an interesting perspective because your organization, and especially in your role, you're actually working with a variety of other clients to help them do their sales development. And I know you kind of manage the SDR team. Is that a fair statement? That's fair. We do SDR as a service. So B2B businesses hire us to manage the top of funnel and build net new funnel for them, just like any SDR would inside of their building. So we do it for multiple companies simultaneously throughout the day. So it's interesting about that kind of a function, guys, if you've never worked in an organization like that or engaged in an organization like that, let me share something with you. Number one, they're faced with clients who all have varying degrees of expectations. Some who come and, you know, even though their own sales development team may have totally sucked, but because I'm paying you as a service provider to do this for me, I have massively inflated unreasonable expectations. There's that end. There's the other end where they're working with people who have been doing this forever and understand the realities of what's going on. They have people who understand process and they understand you know, there's got to be a flow and there's got to be metrics and it's got to be visibility. And the other ones who don't have a clue. And when you would say to them, all right, so we can train my guys. What's your unique selling proposition? What's your value you know, differentiation? They look at a, at a blank, blank face. The power of Sean is he has to manage all these diverse expectations, shall we say, information or lack thereof sharing so that he can bring it all together to give to his team. But then it gets even more interesting, right? He's got to educate his team on the value prop and the script and the messaging and the objection handling and everything else for every single one of their clients, which are all different products and different services. If ever there's going to be an individual who understands the role of managing expectations, whether it's with the clients, with his team, if ever, it's going to be someone like Sean. Sean, how well did I encapsulate that? 
I think you nailed it pretty well. That's a pretty big spectrum of expectations that have to be managed there all the way from B2B business owner believing that his product or her product is for everybody and why doesn't everybody buy it? Not, not exactly nailing a niche to converting that into something that is deliverable in a eight to, you know, nine or 10 second opening with somebody who has no idea who you are. So it's quite a project. It is a project. And what's interesting, Sean and I were talking just before we started recording and we were kind of sharing our, our passion for the community. And one of the things that Sean said I love was he said, you know, he has a big passion for just kind of mentoring that next wave of sales development professionals. We're going to put his mentorship to the test today and his wisdom and lessons learned. I was talking about managing expectations. That leads us to today's conversation. And it's as simple as this. Sean described it as don't get attached to outcomes. My mind just goes poof because there's so many places I go with that because right away I'm like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And sometimes those outcomes are, are from the customer's point of view and or your boss's point of view or your employee's point of view. There are so many outcomes everywhere. But, but of course, we're talking about the sales development professional today. So Sean, just let's top of mind, when you say don't get attached to outcomes, just tell me what that means to you and what was the catalyst, what was the inspiration to kind of share that with the audience today? The easiest way to look at it for me when I say don't get attached to, attached to outcomes, it's about mindset. There's just no doubt about it that there's a lot of no, no, thank you, take me off your list. I mean, the, the approach to, to opening up doors or actually staying in the door means that you're a glutton for punishment, that you sort of have to be the kind of person that is willing to be knocked down in the ground and kicked around some more and then get up and say, but I think we should have this meeting. And, and that's what I mean about don't get attached to outcomes because there are so many things that you can be doing to manage turning a, uh, a poor outcome or a yes or no into something uh, positive. And that, that's really where, where the whole idea of don't get attached to outcomes comes from because there, there are just so many fundamental no's. And what we need to do is turn those no's into uh, yeses by using a process of step-by-step -step moving people through our funnel. I mean, aren't we measured by outcomes? I mean, if I don't have the right outcomes then I'm not going to be retained for my services. So how can you not get attached to outcome? Almost seem backwards in the logic? Yeah, and I think it, it has a lot to do with what you and I were talking about earlier. In the big picture of anything, when you're talking about sales or a project or a process, is to define what the objective is all the way down every step of the way. So by saying don't get attached to outcomes, in other words, a lot of people will think, hey, I'm calling, I need to get the meeting, I didn't get the meeting, they hung up on me, they said no, they're not interested. All that means is if you do that enough, you realize that that is naturally what's happening. So you would have to redefine what is an outcome. Just looking at it, at it kind of fundamentally, we stick to four simple outcomes. And those would be, if you have your pen and paper, yes, no, not me, not now. Those four outcomes are what our team is after, regardless of whatever is happening on the other side of the phone or the email, those four outcomes become wins to us. So if you're only attached to yes and the meeting, you're gonna have a lot of problems with your mindset. It's probably not gonna be the right gig for you. So what happens in a yes, no, not me, not now, that way you can drive your introduction of a call 
the reason for your call and your call to action and then your objection handling around that so that you can have an outcome that's more predictable. And as soon as you're able to report where that becomes part of your metrics, now you're doing something that no matter what happens during the call, it's positive. Because when somebody hangs up on me, becomes no, but an automatic follow-up in three days where the process is in this list, these people hung up on me three days ago. So my script is, the phone rings. Hi, I called you the other day, and it seemed like no matter what, the timing wasn't right. I was wondering if right now is a better time. Now, instead of being attached to the original outcome of, no, I lost that one, it actually just went into a process where I'm going to call them again in three and admit that the other day, for whatever reason, wasn't the right time. Just wondering if you have a minute today so I can uh, tell you why I called as a way to turn around that outcome from no and a negative or being kicked in the ground again to something positive that can drive people closer to the next meeting or the next step in your process. That's so powerful on so many levels, right? Because we can, and we're all guilty of sometimes getting personally impacted with an outcome that is a no, as opposed to recognizing that that is just an opportunity to try again for a yes or a not me or a not now. If you want proof of that, you know, one of the big stats I spout all the time when I talk about, you know, vanilla soft, we do sales engagement. Well, why do you need sales engagement? And the reality is, is that most stats say most reps will make two attempts to engage with somebody. So two phone calls, a phone call, an email, whatever, two attempts. But we know statistically it takes at least six to eight. And depending on the industry, we have we have research that says upwards of 18 times. For example, insurance takes a lot more than other industries. All of those, if you get hung up on that outcome, that one outcome in, in its own, you're going to be disappointed, not motivated. And pretty soon you're probably going to be out of a job because you just don't have the right mindset. But if you understand that you got to play the long game, this outcome doesn't necessarily define the entire outcome, you know, the grand outcome then it changes your whole mindset. I know I saw Keenan the other day online. He was talking about, hey, guys, don't get upset when someone gives you a no, because what you know is that you've got a great product or service that will impact them. And if they say no, it's not personal. It's simply they don't want your medicine. And hey, sucks to be them because your medicine is pretty damn good medicine. So let's move on to the next person who will appreciate what I'm offering because they want my medicine. So I love the mindset analogy you make. With that said, sometimes no matter what we do, no matter what levers we pull, we still don't get the outcome we want. So how do you respond to that? That's when I always go back to, I dictate the outcomes that I want, which are yes, no, not me, not now. Yes is easy because I always call those freebies. When you send out an email and somebody replies and for whatever reason, you know, it's magical. They say, yeah, how about next Tuesday? That sounds pretty good. You go, perfect, great. You book that meeting and you move on. No is just 100% follow-up. The no part of the outcome is 100% follow-up short of somebody in the audience saying, well, what if somebody says, take me off of your list? Well, you be a human being. There's nothing different about sales. You take them off of your list and honestly, why would you really care if somebody doesn't want to talk with you or they're not interested? The whole idea is next, call more people because there are people out there that are interested in what you're doing. You've had success with it before. You have customers. You can share stories you know, about your current customers and your current success. So know that there are plenty of people out there that want to talk to you. What's usually working against you is what you said, not making enough attempts. So if you take out the no's, the people who say, 
not interested and say, perfect, that's so helpful. I know this person doesn't really care what we're doing. You know, we know there's there's workplace apathy. Look around. People don't like their jobs. They're not happy with their life, depression, whatever. There's a handful of people that are going to just say, no, you didn't warm me up. You didn't follow my process. Not going to happen. Good. Move on. Plenty of people, another mindset thing, spend your time talking to the people that want to talk to you. Noah Goldman always, uh, he's got a, a great, a great uh, quote that he says all the time. He reminds everybody, uh, convert the convert the believers. Don't try to convince the skeptics. And that translates to me as talk to people who are willing to talk to you. Keep calling more people until you run into people that, that are willing to talk to you and you can learn more and share and so on. Then moving on to not me. What does not me mean? So naturally, in a, in a call, as part of your process of your scripting or resistance handling is, who do I talk to? And what's funny about that is that it's that simple, right? That's not me. I don't do that. Without saying anything fancy or, oh, I understand. That's interesting. I have this list. You were on it. And so I'm calling you, blah, blah, blah. When somebody says, that's not me. I don't handle that. If the next words out of your mouth are, who should I talk to? And of course, silence is golden, right? Who speaks first? Let the silence hang. That's the best part. People want to fill silence. Yeah, because it gets awkward. We all know that question. Who should I talk to? Who do you know? And then, of course, I mean, we could do a class on that as soon as somebody says, well, you need to talk to uh, Jan over in marketing. Okay, great. What's Jan's direct number? Okay, great. What's Jan's email? And of course, during those calls, you realize if somebody says, go to the website and do your own research that they've had it with you. You know, there's only so far you can take that. So I don't want to get carried away and say, hey, Sean calls and magically these things happen for me because it's not true. What I do is just stick to, I practice enough to know that when somebody says it's not me, you call the wrong person, the words out of my mouth are, who should I talk to? And then what is their direct number? What is their email address? And in between those questions, and then finally getting down to what kind of person are they? Do they, you have any tips? What's going to help me get a meeting with them? I love that question. I was going to ask the question of, you know, and what is specifically is Jan's role? Mm-hmm. But I love that, which of course you want to know anyway, but that question, that question is brilliant because that allows you to approach it relationally, both asking them and then asking them when you hook up with Jan. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to pause you there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tease the audience that when we come back, I'm going to ask Sean how he handles not now, which is a really interesting discussion. So stay tuned. We shall be right back. CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time, make less than two attempts to contact them, and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more. Blow your quota out of the water. How? By ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds, persistently, and with the cadence that is optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. Okay, if someone says not now, in other words, the timing just isn't right, what do you do then? This is probably one of the most powerful components of actually setting up your 
outbound effort and building a process around what you're trying to do. It goes back to don't get attached to outcomes and there's some levers you can't pull. And one of those levers you can't pull, forcing people through the sidewall of your funnel. Your funnel starts at the top, not through the side of it because you called them right now and it would be great if your timing worked out for them. So let's back up and get a little foundation around this because it'll be super helpful for probably even today as you're making calls and you're thinking about this. If you think about B2B and the contracts that people sign up for, depending on the size of the contract, my experience is that it's not, it's not uncommon for a company to be involved with a three-year contract, two-year contracts, and certainly even month-to-month SaaS companies asking for people for one-year contracts. Now, I believe the reason why contracts are getting longer is because what we know about the number of buyers, right? We know that in a B2B situation, there's multiple buyers from one, two, three, six point seven five, or some weird decimal number. I don't know what how that happens, but it's kind of funny. Up to 12 or 20 buyers, depending on how, how big it goes. Now, that would make perfect sense as to why sales cycles or contracts are becoming two years and three years, because nobody wants to get 20 people together to try to buy something every six months. It just It's just too long. Or then if you look at government or education, for that matter, where it's going to be a process no matter what, they just don't have the bandwidth to revisit contracts every single year. They don't do it. So what does that mean? That means that if contracts are three years long and it takes three to six months for somebody to actually get into a buying cycle and get it completed, your window is like one quarter out of 12 that your buyers are going to be in the buying window. So if you call up somebody and they say, no, I'm not interested, I don't care, for whatever reason, I have what I call the big three. And this is part of how we drive results for our customers because our customers want net new pipeline. But the reality is you cannot force outcomes and there's some levers you can't pull. You can't pull someone through the sidewall of your funnel and say, look, sales accepted lead. Yay. No, because we just bought something eight months ago. It's a three-year contract. So the big three are who are you currently using? When does that contract end? And how many licenses or how much money do you spend on it? Those three things, if it's B2B and even government education where it's even public, you can go to the procurement office and get that information. So you don't even have to be wrangling with people in a, from a conversation perspective. You've got some levers you can pull, like procurement, or like we said, when the answer is no, if you have your questions, that's great. I totally understand timing is everything when it comes to these things. So that's really the reason why I called, was just to get some insight into what's going on with you guys. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions before we get off the phone? And with that kind of sincerity and that kind of reasonable expectation, people will say, sure, because now, now they've got what they want. They're going to get you off the phone. When does your current contract end? Or better yet, when did your current contract start? How long is it? Who are you guys using? Oh, yeah, those guys are great. We run into them all the time. We're always in the top three with them. Totally understand. How many licenses or how many users are you guys using there? Now, what have you done? You've qualified for when does the buying window open? So in our formula of SDR work, which is contacting the right target with the right message on the right channel or in the right channel, email, voice, LinkedIn, whatever, at the right time, what I call the holy grail, you qualify for timing. What happens? Now, as you do your daily prospecting and you come in first thing in the morning and confirm all of your meetings that you have for the next two days for your AEs as part of your process, then you move on to your follow-ups, all the people who said no, not me, don't want to, or da, da, da. you're going to follow up with them because you're your priorities. 
Now you look at your list of people where the buying window is opening in three months because over one month, two months, three months, four months, six months, 12 months of prospecting this way, you have built in that whole other layer of timing. And that's basically one of the biggest tricks, the big three. When does your contract end? Who's my competitor? Who are you currently using? And how much do you spend on that or how many licenses are you using? And you qualified them too, right? Qualified and you qualified for, for buying window. Well, that's exactly what I was listening to was, to me, that's a discovery call, which is right away. You're actually getting all the information. And what's interesting about that is that whilst you may not have identified a lead, as you're saying, you know, right now, yes, because you're not going to drag them through the side of the funnel. I love that analogy. Is you are still generating a lead because you know what contract is coming up and it will be open for consideration at that point in time, we assume for, you know, let's let's review. Are we happy with this vendor? Do we need to look elsewhere for another vendor? Because our, our own circumstances have changed. And that in its own is a lead. It's a little less qualified, but it's a lead. Now, I got to ask you a question now, because I love that advice because the whole topic, right, folks, it's it's don't get hung up on the outcomes. And what Sean has taught us here is that I, I got to I got to not right now, which could have been the same as a no. Many people take that as a no. What Sean did was gracefully spin that around to a, oh, it's not right now. So, so there's still a chance, <laughs> you know, and it, it, <laughs> yeah. so when is that, you know, so you didn't say no, there's still a chance, but I, I have a question for you, Sean, when you go back to your clients and cause the clients are looking, they, they clearly engage you if they want pipeline contribution now. And you say, okay, this is not a pipeline opportunity now, but it will be a pipeline opportunity in nine months. I have learned this, that you could reach out to them. How do your clients react with those kind of activity, that, that kind of sharing you give them? They like it. And that's actually part of their learning when they work with us, because some of these things are mysterious to them, because naturally they're coming to us for a couple of reasons. Either they just don't have the resources to put the team together, or they're at the point where they have tried it and failed. And lots of times I kind of, I'm just going to say this, that uh, it's probably a little, uh, it's probably a layer of protection for a VP of sales for a little bit of time, because what's the, the oldest story? One of the oldest stories is a new VP coming in and saying, yeah, I can make that number, Mr. CEO and CFO, if I have this many heads. Okay, great. We'll give you the budget for that and get your heads and get you going. And they come in and they do the same old thing and they fail. And then the VP of sales job turns over for in 12 months or 18 months, like we see all the time. And then you have this team there that was hired, new VP of sales comes in and tries to do the, the same thing. So when we take the time to help people understand that, hey, if your buying cycle or the uh, buying process is three years or contracts are three years, what is your expectation for getting people into, into a buying window right now? It shouldn't be that high. However, we expect that some percent, eight to 12% of people will be. So we're going to be asking the questions from the beginning. Hey, what really happens in the opening of the call to make this happen is, is the process, right? And we jump real, real quick just to one of the ways that I open a call to help get these learnings to the customers because we can't pull the lever. We can't make people take meetings. But one of the most effective ways I have, because I think that that was your original question, Daryl, what, what happens when the only learning is there's no deals in the pipeline in the next three months, right? I mean, that's a problem. Yeah. People say, where's the pipeline? Going back to the very beginning of the call, 
this is what I count on my uh, my prospects for, and I'm going to kind of warm this up just a little bit. I am not a fan, and I don't do it myself. I don't go out to LinkedIn and, or, and find out where somebody went to school or what they did or who they know or whatever. It just that doesn't work for me. It doesn't work at the velocity that we need to work. I just can't do that kind of research, and I'm not sure if it would really benefit me because we are successful in the way that we do it. So I count on the people that I'm calling for three things. One is that they love to learn. Because they love to learn, they can be compelled to take action. When they're learning something, that's when you have the opportunity to find out if the pain of status quo is really greater than taking some action. Because people may make a switch or do something if the pain of what's happening now is greater than taking action or changing. And so I basically changed my whole entire approach with somebody to learning and assessing against their current situation. If someone says, no, we're all set, we have a contract, perfect. That's exactly the reason why I called. I was calling to share with you how we did this for this other company. They learned specifically how to do this, and that helped them get here. So when we get together for this meeting, what you're going to gain, what you're going to get from it is a brand new, fresh framework to assess against your current solution. So that's it. Even if you don't take it any further than this first meeting, you'll be able to assess your current situation, keep your current vendor honest. And at the very minimum, if you see something you like, you'll have a great resource to kind of address that or look at that in the future. Switching it to the opportunity to learn something and have framework to assess against your current situation versus, hey, we're just better than everybody else, so you should take this meeting take it to the learning thing. And that way we've been able to bridge the gap between, did we nail it by calling somebody, hey, we're looking at this right now, your timing's perfect, let's take this meeting, you guys nailed it, right? Which to me is just lucky. That's just flat out doing good good work day in, day out and getting lucky because the numbers will, you know, a couple will sprinkle out just by the numbers. But to really get somebody between them being happy and in a contract now and actually bridging that gap has to be something around learning or something different or fresh and insights, a compelling reason to take action. And there you can kind of dig into, is there some pain here that's greater than making a change that would be worth taking some action on and actually doing some kind of rip and replace, which becomes really kind of an art and science thing. You're doing your activities correctly. You're following your script. You have an objective and you're working on levers that you can't pull to actually make something happen. So I count on my prospects always want to be learning something. So I always say the number one trait of a great leader is they're always learning. So you always want to learn. And people can be compelled to take action. And that would be, hey, you're going to learn something here. I love it. There you have it. If you think Sean is awesome on this, as we talked about not getting attached to outcomes, he's giving you his strategies to pivot and turn, you know, have the long view. And he looks at, you know, yes, no, not me, not now, how you should respond to keep that conversation, to keep that pursuit going on. That's the game. That's how it works, and that's how you can win. If you like Sean's comments today, check him out on LinkedIn. Check out thesalesdevelopers.com. We're out of time, folks. I hope you had fun. I had a good time today. I love this topic. Sean, thank you so much. And everybody else, check us out online. Love us, follow us, review us, share us. We'd be most grateful. Inside, InsideSales.com is where you'll find us. My name is Daryl Prale. I shall talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside, Inside Sales. Hosted by Daryl Prale, the CMO of VanillaSoft. Tune in every week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio Channel. Sponsored by VanillaSoft. <laughs>